morning. It's good to see you. Um, if you were not here last week, there's a bookmark that you're free to take. Uh, or if you got one last week and you would like to put one in, in your Bible, you may do your daily reading in. It has the Apostles' Creed on it. And for you that are new here, let me kind of share with you where we've been the last few weeks and where we're going to be uh, for a little bit longer. You know, as Baptists, our tradition has been to not be a creedal people. And uh, what we say, we're a people of the book. And so it may seem strange to you that we're doing a, a message series through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed came forth in the 4th and 5th century after, uh, after Christ. And uh, it was an instrument to combat false teaching and to give a sturdy foundation for believers so that they could hang on to what they truly believe. So we are looking, not letting the creed tell us what the scripture says, but to allow the Apostles' Creed to be a guide, once again, to combat false teaching and to create a well-rounded foundation for you, but to see what the scriptures teach and to go that direction. So last week we talked about God the Father Almighty, and today we're going to talk about Jesus Christ, the Son, Lord. And so that's where we're going to be. But let me kind of set the groundwork for you as we step into this. And right outside of Hong Kong, there is a place that used to be a monastery. It's not a monastery anymore, a Buddhist monastery, but it still exists. And it goes by different names, but some people call it the the 10,000 Buddha monasteries, some call it the 10,000 Buddha uh, temple, and some call it even the city of 10,000 Buddhas. And so, but what it is, it's, uh, it's a temple area, monastery, like it used to be, and in there is 10,000 Buddhas that they've made. It's actually closer to 12,000, but each of them is different. Some of them are just your standard-looking Buddha. Some are laughing. Some are smiling. Some are uh, like painting, if you like the arts. But there are 10,000 different ones. I've got a picture so that you know I'm, I'm not making this up. And this is the walkway, and it's at different levels. But when you get to the temple itself, uh, you'll see little little miniature Buddhas. But notice all of them are different, and, and some are contemplative. Some you would see were laughing or smiling or something like that. Basically, what you could do is you could pick out the Buddha that most resembled you, I guess, and what you're feeling that particular day, and you could go and pray at that particular Buddha. And uh, I thought it was I thought it was kind of interesting. But we... You know, we would say, oh, that's, that's kind of comical. We would never do that. But it's amazing how we've taken Jesus Christ and we have turned him into our own God sometimes in, in, uh, in the way we want him to be. We want the smiling Jesus today. We want the, uh, the, want the Jesus that cleared the temple. We want the Jesus that walked on water. We want this Jesus. Uh, and we want particular segments of him 
but we don't want all of him. We, we want enough Jesus to keep us out of hell, but not enough to make us uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And so I, 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 I laugh a little bit at that 10,000 Buddhas, but we do the same thing with Jesus. And the question that has been and always will be is not did Jesus walk this earth, but who was Jesus really? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And here's what we're going to look at today. The creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So we're going to look at this second personality of the Trinitarian God. who's one God and uh, three distinct uh, uh, revelations there as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we're looking at Jesus the Son. And here's the big idea today. You ready? So if somebody says, what was the big idea today of the message? It's this. Jesus Christ is 100% God. 100% God. You may wonder, well, what are we going to talk about next week? Jesus Christ is 100% man. But we're going to talk today about that he is 100% God. So if you found Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be in verse 13. And we're, we're basically answering the question about who is Jesus to us and who is he? Verse 13 says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man was Jesus' uh, favorite uh, name for himself, Son of Man. So he basically saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, now he twisted, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of John. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want to give you the background because Jesus was great. He was a master teacher and he would be teaching, and he would use the surroundings to make a spiritual point. In other words, he may see a people, a person sowing seeds on the hill, so he would talk about the gospel and, and sowing seeds. He would talk about the harvest. He would talk about water, and he's the living water. He would talk about different things, using the things that they were accustomed to to bring that into his teaching. And there's a reason he took the, the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me try to describe this area to you so that you can understand. It's about 25 miles northeast of uh, the Galilee region. If you know anything about Israel, uh, you can go to your maps in the back, but Galilee is in the northern area. That's where Jesus did most of his ministry and most of his living there. You have the Jordan River that flows down the whole length of um, uh, Israel. You've got Jerusalem in the south. 
and you've got this uh, Dead Sea uh, at the bottom. You you go go with us sometime. And and in the northeast, 25 miles from the Galilee region, you have Caesarea Philippi. What's the big deal about Caesarea Philippi? It was built for in honor of Caesar. It was a Roman province. It had all of the grandeur secularization of uh, Rome. It was all there. And it was also known as maybe the headwaters of the Jordan River came out of Caesarea Philippi. But it had all the pagan secular um, uh, things of Rome, but it also had all the pagan deities. The, the Baal, the fertility uh, cults that came out of Baal and all the sensual stuff that came with that. So you uh, heightened by immorality. They, they say there were 14 temples to Baal in its heyday there in Caesarea Philippi. But it was also known at, for the god Pan. You may be wondering, not Peter Pan, but the god Pan. And the god Pan was a fertility deity. It was a, a deity that stood for rugged outdoorness, uh, uh, shepherding, uh, the wild, this kind of thing. And so all of the, the sensuality that came with Pan. And uh, uh, Pam and I have been to Caesarea Philippi. And when you're there, you can still see a lot of the pagan ritual stuff that they would have done. And there was a cave there that they had a statue to the god Pan. And in that cave, believe it or not, they called it the gate of hell because they believed that the deities uh, or the gate of Hades or whatever, the deities came out of there. And uh, that's what they believed. And the, also in that cave was where the, the Jordan River, they believe, started from. So you have this cave, and you can still see this cave today. And you, for you that know the rest of the story, you may remember that when Peter answered this, Jesus said, just like I read, this was revealed by my Father to you. And he said, he goes on to say this. He said, by this faith, I will build my church. And then what does he say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and so you've got to understand, he is right at the gates of hell, what the people called it. And so this will not come against your faith. So with this backdrop, complete secular racing, I think I said that right. Complete secular living, and you have all the pagan ritual stuff that is there with the immorality and stuff that came with that. Very demonic. So you have the height of the world and the height of pagan religion, and he's got his 12 there, and he asked them this question. Who does the world say that I am? And they say, well... They say you're Elijah or you're Jeremiah, uh, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. You notice all of those were dead. They were expecting, uh, just like Malachi prophesied, but they didn't understand that that was John the Baptist himself. But that, that's what they say. This say who you are. And then he twisted and he said, but who do you say that I am? Not the world out there. But who do you say? See how personal he got all of a sudden? I think that's the question. The question is not who does the world say Jesus is, but 
my question for you today is, who do you think he is? Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is in your life? Because if you say Lord, that, that means a whole lot. Lord means owner. It means manager. You're saying he is the owner, the manager of my life. So I re-ask that question, who is Jesus to you? Is he something you just add on to your life? But they answered, Peter answered for all of them, and they were all in agreement. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are all authority. That's what was said in that one word. You are the Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. It was who he was. He was the anointed one. And, and, and Peter declares that. And notice what Jesus said. He says, very good, Simon Barjona, but you did not come up with that on your own. It had to be revealed to you. Now, I, w- I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You cannot even come to a relationship with Christ unless he draws you. You see, and somebody's going to say, well, Mark, one Sunday you gave an altar call and I gave my life to Christ or a disciple now or a preteen camp or something, a VBS. Uh, There was an altar call given. I came and gave my life to Christ. That's what you think. But what really happened is the Holy Spirit had a divine time for you and he was drawing you to himself. And so that's my prayer. Even today... You know, today what we know is going on in Eastern Europe. It's horrendous. But, you know, it's not beyond God to draw those people to himself. And we're praying, God, those leaders, draw them to you, and it will make a difference. It will change the world. And so uh, so he said, what do you say? And they said, John the Baptist, you know, that's what the world says. But who do you say? I'm the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. God revealed this to you. Now, what I want to dwell on for a few minutes in that He is 100% God, what that means is He is complete authority. He is absolute authority. People say today, I'm not sure there's absolute truth. I'm not sure there's absolute authority. I disagree. I think that God Himself is absolute authority. And Jesus in the flesh was absolutely authoritative. It's, there's a story that many of you have heard about the captain of the ship, and he looked out into the dark night, and he could see a light uh, out there, a faint light. And so he had his signalman uh, give a message, and he said this, Alter your course 10 degrees south. But promptly there was a return from the faint light and it said, alter your course 10 degrees north. And the captain now was angered because his command had been ignored. So he sent another signal out and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Pretty quickly a message came back and said, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Now the, the, the captain is totally out of his wits, and he said this, Alter your course 10 degrees south. 
I am a battleship. And quickly a message came back and said, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. The deal is, the captain thought he was in control and there was an authority greater than him. I want you to know today, you think you're in charge? There is an authority greater than you. And when we look at this, I want to look at three things in the life of Jesus that shows his authority. The first one is this. Jesus was authority over Mother Nature. If you want to flip to Mark chapter 4 and 5, you can. I'm just going to kind of tell the story instead of read it. But in Mark chapter 4, God shows, Jesus shows his authority over Mother Nature. What happens is, is the disciples are out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. And a storm comes up, violent storm, all of a sudden, and they cry out to Jesus. They wake him up and they say, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus stands up and he speaks this, peace be still. And all of a sudden, this violent storm that had just come in is totally calm. The sea is totally calm. This man, Jesus, had authority over Mother Nature. And you may remember that when this story is previously told, that there was an incident where they are out there in the boat, and Jesus is not with them. The, the storm is coming again, and they look, and there's Jesus walking on the water. I don't think he knew where the rocks were. You know, people try to say, oh, he just knew where the rocks were. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. There's no rocks out there. And so he walking on the water. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me to come to you. So what does Peter do? He Jesus says, come. Peter takes a couple of steps. He started to sink. He said, Lord, save me. Greatest prayer ever. Jesus reaches down, grabs his hand, and they're in the boat. And And both times the disciples are saying, who is this? Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Well, it's God in the flesh. It's Jesus. He has complete authority over Mother Nature. We see it repeated uh, in in the scriptures how he could do this. He, he'd take a, a violent situation. He walked on water. He he calmed the storms. He, he was able to do that. And like I said. Uh, Pam and I have been several times on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, you know, if you go to Israel, and I saw some of you have gone with us, but they've taken most of the sites where Jesus may have been and they've built uh, churches on top of them. So you kind of kind of use your imagination. But the Sea of Galilee, there's nothing you can do with water. It's going to be there. And so when we're out there, it's one of my holy places to be. And in fact, you stop out in the center of the Sea of Galilee and you're able to have a worship time. It's really great. But I can just imagine the storm coming in or Jesus walking on the water and I'm thinking, God, you are complete authority. And so Jesus showed he was 100% God by his authority over Mother Nature. 
but not only over Mother Nature, but we see where Jesus had authority over demonic nature. Demonic nature. If you look in Mark chapter 5, what happened right after they got to the shoreline in an area called the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, what happened is that this demonic guy who's demonized, who lived there, they tried to chain him, they tried to do everything, he was demonized. And when Jesus got out, this demonized man all of a sudden comes yelling and screaming uh, because Jesus is there. Now, we're thinking, wow, that's really bizarre. Let me, let me give you a teaching here that I believe is very important and you need to hear. Demonic activity still goes on today. People still find themselves tempted and, and battling in demonized situations. But I want you to know something. I want you to know when the authority of Jesus is present, the enemy has to show himself. And what happens, he not only has to show himself, he has to answer to the authority of Jesus. Now, I know we live in a day where sometimes people say, I take the authority of Jesus and they start speaking and, and this kind of stuff, which, okay, that, that's what you choose to do. I love what James said. He said, submit to Christ, resist the devil, and he will flee. Because you see, when Jesus shows up, he makes all the difference. So the key to uh, spiritual warfare is not how much you speak about the authority of Jesus. It's allowing Jesus to show up. And when he shows up, he's the one that the enemy has to answer to. And there's that authority that Jesus had over the demonic nature. And we see that. And uh, we, we, we watch what happened. And I, I love this, that when the guy uh, was completely whole in his sound mind, and, you know, that's what I pray, God, you know, I, I, you know we live in a day, what is, what's uh, demonized, what is spiritual warfare, what is uh, mental health issues, you know, we, we just battle this, you know, I, I think, I think the, 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 the idea is, oh, Lord, I'm just, I'm, I just want you to be present wherever you are. That's what I need. And, and, uh, and so what happened with this guy is the, uh, the demons, uh, sent into the herd of swine. They go over the, the, the hill. What's interesting, there's a couple of things that are interesting. The guy is in there in his sound mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go, and I want you to tell your family what's happened to you. I want to believe his family came to Christ. But the next thing that happened is they, they're asking Jesus to leave because the authority of Jesus was so strong there. They couldn't handle it, and they said, leave. So he's the authority over um, uh, Mother Nature. He's the authority over demonic nature. Thirdly, he is the authority over human nature. Human nature. If you go on in the story, after the demonized man, the demons are taken care of, Jesus is traveling in a, a crowd, and it's a congested crowd, 
and there's a lady there that had this issue of blood, that had this hemorrhaging for most of her life, and she reaches out and she touches the hem of the garment of Jesus, and she's instantly healed. And what Jesus turns around and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, everybody's touching me. And he said, no, I, I felt power go forth. And this lady um, steps up and he says, your faith has made you whole. I love that, that she's made whole. And so what happened is that Jesus had authority over the human nature of sickness that was there. Some of you need to know that today. Uh, I need to know that today. I, I, I embrace that. The Lord, you are authority over human nature. And, and whether it's mental health or physical health or emotional well-being, you are authority over that. And I receive that, Lord Jesus. Just, just be who you are. But we notice also, you remember in John chapter 11, that a good friend of Jesus had died. And Jesus, Lazarus, and Jesus shows up. Uh, late, four days late, and and he speaks. Lazarus come forth, and uh, which shows that dead people can't count because he was the first one out. I don't you love that joke? I I love to throw that out. But uh, uh, Lazarus comes out, unwrap them. But Jesus shows his authority over human nature. Jesus is complete authority. He's complete authority over Mother Nature. He showed it. He's complete authority over demonic nature. He's complete authority over human nature. Jesus is 100% God. And some of you need to know he's greater than anything you're going through today. Now, there's three so what's that I want to give you, and, and they, they will be real brief. Number one is this. If Jesus is 100% God, he is worth all my worship. Oh, Christ, be magnified in me. Oh, Christ, you're worthy. Majesty. Uh, he is completely worthy of worship. If Jesus is 100% God, he is worth all my worship. Secondly, if Jesus is 100% God, I know my salvation is true. I know my salvation is true. I don't have to doubt it. I don't have to wonder, can it be stolen from me? Because the scriptures in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking and, and he says, nothing comes to us unless it comes through the Father's hand. And so I look at this teaching and I know that I've become part of his hand. I know I am secure in him. And if he is 100% God, I know he is strong enough and he is the authority to keep me. And so we need to know that today because some of you may be doubting your salvation. You're doubting in that area. And I want you to know that God has taken care of that through Jesus. Thirdly is this. If Jesus is 100% God, I know all of his promises are sure. I know all of his promises are sure. When he says he will never leave me nor forsake me, he is truthful. When I know that he is greater than uh, health issues, I trust him. I know that he is greater than material need, I can trust him. I know that he is greater than anything I'm going through, I can trust him because he is 100% God. 
And I know this. When He says He has a purpose for me, I can trust Him in that area. And there's one that I want to lay out to you because I think it's one of the greatest struggles today we're seeing with individuals. That if He is 100% God, then His promise is anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know that I become a child of God. I become a child of God. And, And... He's adopted me. He's grafted me in. I become part of his family. And so my identity, get this, my identity is now a child of God. Do I screw up? Yeah, you know me. I screw up. But I do know this. He didn't kick me out of his family. I am still a child of God. What scares me today is we live in a time in our culture where identity is screwed up. People equate their identity with their sexuality, and and God never intended that. Or or people equate their identity with the kind of work they have. God didn't intend for that. Or they have their identity with their ethnicity, or their identity is with some... That's wrong, because you don't want to have your identity in anything that's fleeting and can change. You want your identity set in the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so you need to grab that today. You need to hang on to that. It's not how many likes you have on your social media that determine your identity. God, that's ridiculous. It's your identity is in Christ. And here's the deal about that identity. Alexander the Great, who was the world conqueror, he was camped with some of his soldiers one particular time, and they brought a young man to him that had been caught stealing. And they brought him before Alexander the Great, and they plopped him down. And Alexander the Great looked at him, and he says, Boy, what is your name? Boy, what is your name? And he said, My name is Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at him, and he said, Boy, Either change your ways or change your name. I think being called a son of the king, I want that name. And I want to live a life that honors that name. There's one last scripture that I want to read. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Let me just read it. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A day's coming when every knee will bow, every knee, seven billion people plus, will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some, it may be late, too late, but the day is coming. I end end with this. Did I say that already? 
I'm really going to end with this. You know, my prayer for my life is that I become Christ intoxicated. And that's my prayer for our congregation, is that we become Christ intoxicated. And what that means is, you know, when you're intoxicated with something, it takes over your faculties, it takes over your emotions, it takes you over. I just want to be Christ intoxicated. I, I want to be so consumed. I want our congregation to be so consumed with Jesus that we are Christ intoxicated. They say that a spiritual movement, that they look at history, spiritual movements have come when a person or a group of people become completely intoxicated with Jesus and pursuing him. That's when they see spiritual movements taking place. But they've said that when spiritual movements end is when a group of people start following the people instead of following the one that they're pursuing. My prayer for us, that's not saying we don't have leaders. It's just saying that every one of us can pursue Christ. I want to, here's what I want to do. I know some of you are going through stuff today and our world is going through stuff. I want you to stand with me. Everybody stand, if you would. If we believe that Jesus plead authority, it ought to change the way we pray. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to get with two or three people, not bigger than that because you can't do it. I want to ask the worship team to come. But I want you just to get, if it's just your family, that's perfectly okay. But what I want you to do is I want you to begin to pray. Pray for what's going on in Eastern Europe. Pray for the um, uh, spiritual climate of our world today. Pray for yourself. Pray for our church that we may be pursuers of Jesus. But I want us just to pray. Spend a few minutes praying. The worship team is going to sing over us. And when you're through, just join in the worship. But I, I want this to just be a time of prayer being cried out to God. So go ahead, two or three, just begin to pray. Pray, pray especially for our world right now.